change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You could look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podscreeby. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we have a lot to discuss this week, but I think we have to get into off the top here the biggest news in the CFL this week, and that is the Garrett Marino hit on Jeremiah Mazzoli from last Friday's Auto Red Black Saskatchewan Rough Riders game and all of the fallout from what happened. So a quick catch up to anyone who I mean if you're listening to this, you know what happened, but in case you don't, quick catch up Marino who plays defensive line for the Riders, went low on Mazzoli, was flagged for rough play and ejected from the game. Following his ejection, Marino started flexing his biceps and trying to elicit like cheers from the Mosaic Stadium crowd. Following the game, you had Nate Bahar, who's a receiver for the Red Blacks. He gave this blistering post-game media interview where he ripped into Marino, claiming he used racist language during the game and even went so far as to get into the – like, this is Marino I'm talking about. He got into the face of Red Blacks players during their team dinner the night before at the keg. If you haven't heard Bahar's comments, go search them out. It's it's a wild kind of like 90 seconds to two minutes of just like what the hell is going on. This was the talk of the CFL world, social media and everything over the weekend. I've the most reactions I've seen is almost universal condemnation of what Marino did. Then on Monday, the CFL announced that Marino had been suspended for four games for three different violations. He was suspended two games for the hit on Mazzoli. He was suspended one game for what they're calling, and this is a direct quote, a reckless tackle of an Ottawa offensive lineman that occurred earlier in the game. And he was suspended one game for, and this is also a direct quote, verbal comments Marino made about Mazzoli's heritage during the game. So four games in total he'll miss. These are to be served consecutively. Mike, I think that's a pretty succinct wrap-up of what we saw. Uh, what do you think of this? Did you think the league got this right? Was the punishment too harsh, too lenient? What, what's your say on this? Well, I wouldn't have a problem with them you know, doubling that suspension eight games. It's just I don't think that that level of suspension would be allowed by the CFLPA. I don't, I don't know, but um, four games is a decent amount of time. Uh, you know, it's almost a quarter of the season. Uh, that'll put a su- substantial, you know, uh, it'll hit his wallet pretty good. I think um, this guy has been uh, a bad role model on the field since he's been in the CFL. He hasn't been in the CFL that long. And I, I don't have the number of suspensions and fines and all that, but it's a large well, I, amount. I, I, uh, I can tell you. I can tell you that he's been right. fined three times. He's been ejected yep. twice. He's now been suspended once, or I, I get you could say three times if you want. It's three separate suspensions here. He's played twelve total games. Twelve yep. games. Twelve That's games. Ugly. He's been ejected from two of them. Think about that. Yeah. Think about one sixth of the game. The sad thing played. is, like you think that you know the way he plays the game is how he got to this level. You know what I mean? Like he's so nasty. He's so mean. He's so dirty. 
that some teams might see that as an advantage to have that kind of guy on your team. And I know people can point at Simone, and that's been a lot of the talk is, you know, when Simone had nothing to do with this, had nothing to do with this, and he's not that kind of player, not even close to what Marino is. But it's just, it's, uh, it's you know, the way that he tackled him low, the way that he got up and was celebrating, it wasn't even a sack. It, it was just, it was ugly all around. And then after he gets ejected and he's got his helmet up and, you know, he's, he's saying terrible things. Um, I think I was watching CFL Wired and he, he was like saying F Mazzoli, F Mazzoli and all this kind of stuff. So, and I think this is like kind of behavior that goes way back in his history. You know, I've heard things that he was this way in college as well. So I'm not sure you can change, you know, change the behavior in, in a person like that. So hopefully he learns his lesson, but I, I have my doubts. Oh, I don't think he's going to learn a damn thing from this. I think this is who he is. And there's there's a lot to say about this. The, the let's I'm going to break this down. So the two games for the hit on Mazzoli, I'm okay with that. You know, Simone was catching strays all weekend, but similar. If you if you look at the hits, just the hits, Simone's hit was a late hit on, on Calaris all those years ago. This was a late low hit. Two games for the hit, I'm okay with that. One game for the quote-unquote reckless tackle of the offensive lineman. Okay, I mean, that could have been two games as well, I think. It was just as as unnecessary, just as kind of gross. Uh, if you've seen the video of that, I think, I think, John Hodge, my colleague at Three Donation, posted the video of that. Where I have a problem is is the is the one game for the for the comments, and the CFL's use of Mazzoli's heritage. What a cowardly way to to phrase that, is it not? Like to me, they only phrased it in that way because they didn't want headlines with the words CFL and racist or racism in coming up on 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 searches. His his heritage say say what it is, verbal comments he made he made racist statements like I I, I why are we couching it in this cute language to try like it's that's what he said and this is where I this is where I kind of this is the problem I have with the suspension like you said it could have been even doubled. This is a league that not that long ago had this mantra had this slogan diversity is strength and they. And and the CFL has been great when it comes to stuff like that. This is your chance to prove that the words mean something, and th- this is what you do. You 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 kind of throw it at, like I broke this down in, in in the hit, the hit, and then the words. They broke it down as hit words. It was like a, they kind of threw it in there as like a oh if they don't see it maybe you know it's not the main main course of this. It's the it's the middle course. I I just I just have a big problem with the league saying it's one thing and then doing something else as far as the comparison to simone like you said like he didn't he has the way you would i i can't remember who again this was all over cfl twitter right someone was like if you didn't know any better you would think simone was the one that laid the hit with how much he was being talked about and i've seen rider fans complain like oh man people are beating up on us guys it's been three years since that hit on Calaris, that was the first time Simone had even been punished for an on-field infraction. People are like, oh, he was fine before that. His fine before that, if people don't remember, was for stupid comments he made about Henry Burris. He was fine for using misogynistic language, which he then apologized for, but he was fine for it. It wasn't for an on-field thing. It was because he told Burris, I think he said, told Burris, stop acting like a girl, which is not acceptable. Simone took heat for that. He apologized for it. He was fine for it. 
that was the first time in a nearly decade-long career that he had been sanctioned for something he did on the field. And yet we have not heard – we have never heard the end of it. Every time the Ticats play, that's what you hear about. He makes a play. It's like if, it, if it's borderline, it's, oh, you know, he's got a history of this. If he, if he makes an – oh, you know, he – and any time Claris plays, it's the same thing. And it's like if you think it's too much now after three days, now four days of this, try taking it on for three years. It's been over three years since that Calaris Simone incident happened, and it still gets brought up to this day. That's a man who has played almost 150 games in this league. And yeah, he plays in the gray area. I understand that. And no, we we came on this show. You can go back in the archives and listen. We we did not couch. We were on board with the suspension and, and fines and all of that. To compare this in a vacuum, if you just compare the hits, that's fine. You think the two hits are comparable? Well, okay, cool, because they got the same amount of – the punishment was the same for both, right? When's the last time you saw Simone Lawrence flex and cheer on a crowd after he had injured – after a player was getting pulled up off the turf and carried to the bench by his teammates because he couldn't put any he – could, he couldn't walk? And please show me the incident where Simone Lawrence is, is using someone's quote-unquote heritage – as a verbal talking point, we know Simone's a trash talker. He's been, everyone calls him a trash. He's, I think he's been voted on those TSM polls as the best trash talker in the league. Never once have you heard anyone say that he's crossed the line. You don't hear about him saying things about people's families. So it's to me, he gets dragged into this stuff because these idiot rider fans that just, it's what about Simone? What about Simone? What about Simone? And it's like, this had nothing to do with him. This was, this was a bad scene, bad situation. I think they got the hits suspensions right, but I'm most disappointed with what they did for the stuff that he said after the after the fact. That to me is where they 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 dropped the ball. That's fair. I, I would agree with that. It's just I don't know how you suspend someone. Like how many like who said he said that stuff? You know what I mean? Like well, here's here's the thing. Is there so, any you know is there any actual proof, or is it just people saying that he said it? I think there, but so that's a good question, but I think there has to be because you're not just going to say, oh, Nate Bahar said this in an interview post game in the heat of the moment when he's clearly upset about what happened to his quarterback and be like, oh, that's all the proof we need. They clearly have some evidence of what happened around the the field and stuff like that. Or or one of his teammates was like, yeah, no, this dude said that or or a slew of players on Ottawa's offense said, no, we heard him. You know what I mean? Like there had to have been some corroboration for what Bahar said. And it and whether we ever find out what it is is who knows. I don't think we will. But someone had to have. You don't just say someone did something and then it's like all of a sudden you throw the book at them. Like it's clear in my estimation. If they went as far as to suspend him for this, they, they have, have, have other evidence that that proves yeah. that that what Bahar was saying was true. Yeah, and we might see him appeal that to maybe that just that one suspension. Um, but. Who knows? Uh, he might just, he might uh, you know try to get you know, out of all of it. Um, we've seen that before too, but I can't see that happening. Um, but just the 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 way that he acted after the hit, and then just, to be that stupid to be saying racist shit on the field and not think that it would you know get out there. Like there, there's, this is a uh, 2022 now. Um, you know that shit's not acceptable. 
um, in this day and age. And it shouldn't have been acceptable at any point in time, but unfortunately it, it was. Um, so it's just a bad look for, for the riders. It's a bad look for the coach. It's a bad look for the player. Oh, we, haven't even, it, we haven't even gotten into yeah. what Dickinson said. Dickinson, Dickinson really put his foot Dickinson pretty much dropped on the bus that uh, Michael Ball was riding, right? Yeah. And, and he apologized for it and kind of made it worse. Dickinson used, oh, well, the defense was mad because in the previous you know instance there was a an injury to one of our guys. And it's like, that's not – this retaliatory mindset is just not – that's not 2020 football, 2022 football. I'm sorry. Like, people are going to be like, well, what about Angela Mosca and what about this? It's like, okay, that was 60 years ago. You know what I mean? Like, we've evolved. And, yeah, we you can go back and look at that and go, yeah, okay, you know. It, for its time, that was allowed. Like you said about the language, for its time, like maybe it shouldn't have been. It probably shouldn't have been, but it was. It's 2022, no, man. I, I, I wonder if I wonder if that would have been brought up if he, if the hit didn't happen. Like if he was saying all that that nasty shit on the field, does that if, get brought if, up? To, like if the, if the hit doesn't happen? I don't know. It's like, I, like I probably, just a, a, a weird question to ask, but I, well, I'm just we, like. But you know what? We have had, I don't know, I can't I can't think of any instances off the top of my head in the CFL, but we have heard about this stuff in other sports. There's been a real racism problem in the NHL, for example. They've oh, had yeah. African-American players, African-Canadian players who have been chirped for their, for being black. So mm-hmm. it, we, you see it in, I, I've, soccer, you're, especially over in Europe, is rife with racism. So I, I do want you, that to, I think that that's a, a, a good question. Like if the hit doesn't happen and he's still staying all this garbage, does... It, I don't know. I, I, pro- or, I think was prob- it the hit was like, all right, that's it. I'm going in at this mf or you know what I mean. I'm, I'm letting it all out Indeed. like Nate Bahar did. Um, but which is a good Could thing. Be, I mean, you, you shouldn't be saying racist stuff on the field. You just shouldn't be. Like if that if that's your your go to, like I again, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and label Garrett Marino a racist. I think that that would be a unfair of us. I don't know the man. Nor, nor would I say that if he, if he slurred homosexuals or if he's, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, differently abled people, like sometimes in the heat of the moment, you say things that you regret. However, what I will say is that if you say those things, if, if your go-to in those moments is to say something misogynistic or racist or homophobic, then deep down you have some things you need to work out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I know back in the day, we, we used to say things, you're probably as guilty of it as I am. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus or anything, buddy. But you know what I mean? Like, we, I, if you go, if you, if I had social media when I was in high school, there would mm. be some things I would be outright embarrassed that I likely would have said. But yeah. now you're older and, and you reflect on it. We change as a society. I think change for the better in, in most instances. You don't say those things anymore. That You get those things out of your, out of your lexicon, out of your verbiage. If you are in the heat of the battle and you do something and your first instance is to go towards one of those offensive tropes, to me, it is a part there's of who you are. Down. Yeah, it's, there's something deep down there exactly. that, uh, yeah. You need, sure. That you need to work on and you need to fix because it's not yeah. acceptable. So what do you think, Josh? You want to move on from this Marino Should we? I, do, you have, do you have anything left to say about it? Because I, I think we've we've spent a good 15 minutes on this. I don't know if there's any... Yeah. No, I don't think, I think, you know, dirty player, dirty hits, um, you know, just an ugly situation all around. Yeah, I'm sure there's all the other podcasts out there that we've we've been on, that we've been affiliated with. I'm sure everyone's going to have a take on this. Go, go listen to, go listen to them and see what they have to say as well. Cause I I don't think anyone, I don't think there's going to be anyone out there that doesn't have an opinion on on what, on what happened on, on what was it? Friday night. Yeah, it was Friday night. 
Um, so yeah, let's move on. Let's talk about some Ticat stuff, Mike, and some good stuff. Well, some some good, some bad, I guess. Uh, the Ticats made a series of roster moves over the last week and a bit. Uh, while we were away and while they were away, the most notable one being they signed veteran Canadian punter John Ryan. Ryan spent the last two seasons with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders after a, I think it was a 12-year career in the NFL with the Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks. And Ryan was a member of, he's won a Super Bowl, was on that Seahawks team. And I think it was 2013, 2014 that beat the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. So we, we there's a Super Bowl champion now. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should I should see if I can get a talking with him and see, see his ring. I'd be cool to see a Super Bowl ring. Um, yeah. The team also brought back uh, American kicker Seth Small, who was cut by the team at the end of training camp. And he will be in the lineup, from what I can understand, this week when the Ticats play the Red Blacks on Saturday. So there is a change coming at kicker. Obviously, Ryan being a Canadian, they, uh, they've they now flipped Canadian uh, punter from American to Canadian. That allows them to switch kicker from Canadian to American. So everyone can rejoice. It doesn't look like Michael Domagala will be the team's kicker this week. So everyone who's been calling for his head, which I guess was kind of us too, uh, we, we get to see someone else, and if we'll have to see what they do. Uh, the team also released uh, some some other players, uh, Canadian offensive lineman Andrew Pickett, American offensive lineman Aaron Johnson, American punter Simon Larea, who was the one that John Ryan's replacing, Canadian linebacker Jared Beeksma, who the team just drafted uh, in the most recent CFL draft, and they released Canadian running back Malik Irons while also trading American linebacker Patrick Nelson to the Ottawa Red Blacks for an unnamed player from their negotiation list. So fans, Mike, were hoping for some big moves during the team's bye week, and instead we got kind of this series of smaller moves. I have two questions for you. The first is, what do you make of these moves? Is there any of them that you really want to talk about in, in, in depth? And secondly, are you... Upset's not the right word, but are you maybe upset, surprised the team did do something bigger than, say, adding a all-star level punter and trading a backup American linebacker? Well, I think the the biggest signing would be the John Ryan one. Um, you know, like you said, his pedigree is there. He's uh, been at the, the the you know top of the food chain in in football in the NFL level. Um, he has a still has a booming leg. We've seen that the last two years in Saskatchewan. Sure does. Saw it at um, practice on Tuesday. Ooh, it's still as vicious as ever it's it's yeah. he's still got a leg on him he hasn't lost that at all so the only criticism of of him in saskatchewan that he gave up too many rouges his mm-hmm. uh directional punting wasn't the greatest but i'm not really concerned about that necessarily I, i'd like that to be part of his game that would be great but i just i'm just thinking about how we can flip the field get that f- field position back with uh, with a leg like his so he's he's the one that stands out to me and Seth Small as well. I mean, I thought he played well in the in the preseason. Uh, I think he went three for three, hit a 51-yard yep. field goal. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I thought he looked really good, and hopefully he can continue that going into the regular season. You know, Malik Irons is, is a bit of a surprise. You know, he's shown some good things over the years with the Ticats. Uh, but, you know, there's a bit of a crowded backfield. So um, it's not that big of a deal, but I hope he, he catches on somewhere else, and I think he will. As for, you know, big moves, you know, making maybe making a firing, making a trade and all that. I wasn't for getting rid of any of the coaches. I just think that you see what's going on in Montreal, uh, you know, and I don't want to be in that situation. I think it's a little too early to panic like that. Um, I think Montreal is going to be hurting for the rest of the year because of the moves they make. And we're, we're going to touch on that a little bit later. But I just don't I, I don't think that, I don't think that's the answer to get rid of Condell or or Steinhauer or Washington or any of those guys. Um, so I'm glad they didn't do that. And, uh, you know, I think that the, the big moves for me were made before the bye week with the offensive Bingo. line moves. 
I, I just think that that's the thing that we sh- should have been fixing. And, and I think they did that. I'm actually really confident in this offensive line now that we got Kelly at the left tackle and, you know, we got guys coming back. I think Fontana's uh, fully practicing this week. So um, we're getting healthy along that offensive line. I think it's going to be pretty, a pretty good unit once we're, we're ready to go. I still stand by my criticism on the last post game show we did, which was the last show we did that. I don't think this is a very good football team right now, uh, but you're right. They're getting healthy. And I think that's big. Any sort of additions that they could have made, like, cause here's the thing. So talking about coaching, everyone. And I've, I think I've said this on this. I might've said it on the, I might've said it on a post game show, but I know I've said it in other places. It's all well and good that you want to replace a coach. Who are you replacing him with is what matters. You can you can say, oh, this is a problem. And this is something that you tell people in all walks of life. If you're going to come to someone with a problem, tell them the problem, but then bring a solution. You know what I mean? Like you can say they should fire the offensive coordinator to replace him with who? You want Mike Gibson running the offense again? Because remember what he what, what it looked like when he ran the offense? I think it was 2009 and, and, and 2010. Everyone hated Mike Gibson when he, you know what I mean? Like they hated that Mike mm-hmm. Gibson offense. So you're not... Are you going to – everyone was saying, oh, well, Kahari got fired, so you can bring him in as the offensive coordinator. One, he was the offensive coordinator here before, and he was okay. That 2011 team, they only won eight games. Yeah, they made it to the East Final, but they weren't a juggernaut offensively. Um, and why Why would Kahari, who's going to get paid out the rest of the season on his head coaching contract, why would he jump into a new – he can now sit back, and we're going to talk more about cut the Kahari thing later, but he can sit back and now wait until the offseason – and have his pick of jobs because no one in the world blames what's happening in, in Montreal on him. He is universally beloved. So some team's going to scoop him up probably as an offensive coordinator, maybe as a head coach, and they're going to get a really good coach. But I don't want to go too deep into the into the stuff with, with Kahari because we're going to talk about that later, like I said. The John Ryan move is the biggest one that they made, and it's it's not just for adding him, but it is for the ability to now switch a kicker. And I don't think Michael Domagala has been atrocious but he's not been consistent enough. Now we have this opportunity with someone else. Let's see what they can do. If they prove to be just as inconsistent, you can always go back to, to Domagala. And if that's the case, we'll have seen that there's a guy that brought in someone and he didn't work. So they have to go back to the guy that they semi trust. That to me is the, is the biggest sort of, it's not a big move in like they didn't go out and trade for Brian Byrne. You know what I mean? Like, I can't, I, he was just the first guy that popped in my head because he, he got hurt recently, but they didn't go out and trade for a, a big name player, but that's okay. Like you don't have to, the idea that they had to make this move to like who, who you, you said it yourself with the offensive line. Like they made those moves before what move are you you're trading? The, like, what are you going to trade Dane Evans for Vernon Adams? Like what, what move of anyone listening out there? And Mike, even you can, I can ask you this question. Like what big move out there? Like where do they need help the most? We're trading for a, a stud player. Like, who was available? Like, do you want to go get a defensive lineman or another receiver? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's well yeah. and good to want change, but you have to come up with the solution to the change. And if you don't do that, then you're just, as far as I'm concerned, just kind of complaining into the wind. Yeah, there. I don't think there was, a, you know, some big trade we could make or some firing we could make that's going to turn this team around instantly. Um, I think you stay the course. I think if you're going to fire anyone, you do it in the off season and then you bring in someone else and they prepare for the next season. Yep. You, you, this isn't hockey. Okay. In hockey, you can fire a coach in the friggin' playoffs, like, and you can make it work. Football's not like that. And it, it never will be. So stay the course, 
um, see how this season plays out, and then we can make changes in the offseason. And I, I think, I honestly think, and and we may be coming back here on Saturday night, and I could have a completely different view, but <laughs> as of right now, I think this team is going to turn it around. I really do. Oh, it's nice that you're you're the the not uh what's the word I'm looking for? Po- you're optimist? the positive one. You're yeah. optimistic. That's the word I was gonna say. Opportunist, but I was like, no, he's not an opportunist. That's not what I want. <laughs> Opti- you're, you're the optimistic one. I think that that's that's actually good for a change. Usually these roles are reversed. It feels really weird mm-hmm. being on the pessimistic side. I don't care. I don't like it very much, but you know, we got, I have to be honest. How you feel, man? And, Keeping it real. And, and you have to be honest in yours. It's, it's the way yeah. it is. All right, let's talk about some more off the field stuff. One last little bit of Ticats news, Mike. And this was the best news that we probably could have had the last little while. Ticats announced that none other than the iconic Danny McManus will be inducted into the team's wall of honor during their October 7th game against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We all know McManus's accolades. MOP in 1999. Of course, he's the last quarterback to lead this team to a championship in that same season. All the passing records, like most of the major passing records in franchise history belong to him. Yeah, Hall for, of Fame. Uh, for, I got them right here, actually, if you'd, if you'd like. It's, First. Yeah, it, it's, it, okay, can I guess? It's number one in touchdown passes, completions, yards, and I think there's one more. Oh, he's second in a couple of things. So I'll, I'll, this is what okay. I just you, got. You know what? I tried. You go. All right. So first in uh, Ty Cat's career passing yards, yep. 33,841. Pass attempts, 4,257. Completions, 2,368. And touchdown passes for 164. Uh, he's second in Hamilton Tiger Cat's passing yards in a single game with 525. And fourth in all-time CFL crack, uh, career passing yards with fifty-three thousand two hundred fifty-five. Yeah, and he was—he got—he's in the Hall of Fame. Like yep. this is this is the no-braineriest no-brainer <laughs> in the history. Like I know I just—that's that, not a word, but he joins a couple of uh, three other nineteen ninety-niners: Rob Hitchcock, who was inducted in twenty nineteen; Joe Monford, who was inducted in twenty eighteen; Paulus Balson, who was inducted in twenty eleven. He will become the twenty-fourth player and 26th person all the time to be named to the wall of honor long time coming, but so richly deserved Mike, we can talk about the accolades. We already did. We don't have, but it's, it's the memories of what these guys, mm-hmm. like this is, there's not very many years separating the two of us. This is our formative. This, this is our teenage years, our, our young adult years of, well, for me, I guess young adult years for you, more just teenage years of our fandom. This, 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 this these teams, 98 99 with McManus and Lancaster and Flutie and Montford and all those guys. This is what kind of solidified our fandom, if you will. Mm-hmm. What is yep. your, what is your favorite moment of Danny McManus's career? Is it the third down throw to Joe Hagan's in the 99 okay. East final? It's up there. Uh, that that's a huge play. Um, I gotta go with the two touchdown passes in the '99 Grey Cup to uh, Darren Flutie. Are my mm-hmm. personal favorites, just because you know we talk about those teams, and uh, you know I put out a tweet about Paul Spaldiston uh, today, actually a, pl- a yeah. hockey player profile, and uh, you know those guys. It, it meant so much because in the '90s, leading up to that. Danny McManus, Ron Lancaster, Darren Flutie, you know, were, on and on era. They were bad. It, it, they were really bad. Like early nineties, mid nineties, this team was struggling to they were, put they wins were two, together. They were two and sixteen in nineteen ninety seven. And they went twelve yeah. and six the next year and made the Grey Cup. Like yep. it it was bad here. Like 
this is the Ticats history though, right? Like there's this stretch of like just awful play. And then they, they give us like four or five years of just like, Oh my God, they're, they're competitive. And then they go back to being bad. And it's, it's just kind of the, the way of the franchise, but yeah, it was, I mean, I, I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I just was like, I was, yeah, they were, they were terrible they were before these guys got here. They were bad. And the, you know, there was no hope in getting better. We, I remember 96, we brought in Matt Donigan. He was supposed to be the savior and we started off pretty good until he got injured. But then when we brought in Ronnie Lancaster and Danny McManus and Darren Flutie, it just, you know, there was a lot of hope there that it would get turned around, but it got turned around so quickly. It was just really impressive that time. And Danny McManus was uh, was the leader of it all, offensively anyways. And, uh, you know, he threw a lot of interceptions, we know that, but he threw a lot of yards and a lot of touchdowns, and he won us a great cup. So he is well-deserved to be up on that wall. So I've told the story numerous times. I was there in 98 East Final, the Aussie kick. Yeah, that Aussie kick doesn't happen though. If McManus, cool as a cucumber, doesn't take that ball in what was it, 35, 40 seconds, and go bang, bang, bang down the field, gets him into field goal range, and they kick. They Aussie gets the chance to get the kick. He never seemed like he was rattled. You mentioned that he threw a lot of interceptions, and he did. He might be the career leader in interceptions, or he threw more picks than touchdowns. It's, there's something weird about his resume. That's like, he was a great player, but he threw a ton of interceptions, but it never seemed to, to get to him. It was like, he threw a pick. He had the quickest release of any quarterback I'd ever seen. Uh And I remember it was, this was late in his, like, I'm talking like, Oh, four, Oh five, like late in his tenure with the team. And I'm, I go to a game. I think I went with my dad and my brother and I'm just watching from the stands as he's throwing, like warming up before the game. And every pass was like the tightest spiral I had ever seen. Like it was, he was so smooth. He had the athleticism of a rock. Like if you've ever seen Danny McManus run, it was hilarious. But there was just, there was this but confidence. They would do that bootleg. They would do that bootleg like every once in a while near the, yeah. the, 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 near the end zone. And he'd run it in. <laughs> he'd run yeah. it in. Well, run, run might be a stretch. Well, yeah. Jogging. <laughs> he, would, he would saunter. He would saunter yeah. in. But it's just to think back to though that, that t- like, it reminds me of, I won't say a better time because, you know, you get older and, th- and things are good too, but it, it just, it warms your, like it warms your heart to think back to those, those years of like, this is when your fandom was, like I said, solidified when it, when it mm-hmm. formed sort of thing. And this was like, every generation has their guys. Like there's going to be people who've, I've, I've said it before, like Brandon Banks and Simone Lawrence are like this generation's the, the 12 to 17 year olds that are watch that are into Ticats football. Now those are going to be their guys. The generation before us, there was, you know, the Earl Winfield and Mike Kerrigan and Grover Covington mm-hmm. and Ben Zambiazzi. And then before then, and, you know, Joe Zuger and, and Garney Henley and, uh, Angela Mosca, you know, like every sort of era of fandom has those guys that they'll always kind of go back to. And McManus was the quarterback for our generation. This is, you know what I mean? Like this was, to, it, it's, it's weird because I don't feel like, even though I'm 40, I don't feel that old. So like to me, 1999 was eight years ago like it yeah, wasn't that long ago it wasn't 23 years ago it was no definitely was not. last week yeah. um but to see these guys like i was i was there and i met i saw monford when he went in i was there when hitchcock went in getting to be there to see one of these like formative players of my youth get their like the ticats don't retire jersey numbers they've retired two in their history 
Mc, the 14, you're going to see a ton of players wear McManus's number, but he's going to go up there. He's going to be up there forever. And yeah. it just, it'll, it'll, I, I'm looking, I'm so looking forward to like that video they're going to like, I know they put out like a little 30 second one when they announced it of some of his highlights, but I was like, there's going to be probably like a two and a half minute video package. If there's not, I'm, I'm putting it out there. Hopefully someone from the club is listening, put out a, a wonderful video montage of some of yeah. McManus's best, best stuff. It's it's going to just bring back all those memories from when you're a kid again, and it's just it's going to make me it's going to take my 40 year old self and put me back into section E of Iverwin Stadium on that cold November day when I watched him just mm-hmm. boom 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 and set up Ozzy for the win. Like I I'm getting goosebumps just like the hair is standing up my arm just thinking about because it, it just reminds me of of what was so much fun like why I like this stuff in the first place why we're doing this if not for things like Danny McManus Mike we might not be doing this show because maybe our fandom doesn't get doesn't it it doesn't become part of our identity and we're not talking CFL today but it's 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 just fond memories all around I know that there was some bad times like he was a quarterback for the one and 17 team but there's it's when, when you when you're this far away from it when you're this far removed from from his time on the field it you just you just remember the good stuff yeah, yeah, you don't think back about the one in seventeen, and you know, even in his later years with the Tie Cats, they had some okay teams. Um, obviously not that uh, two thousand three no. team or two thousand four team, whatever it was. Um, but yeah, you look at the numbers: it two hundred fifty nine touchdowns, two hundred eighty one interceptions in his. That's career. what it is. He has more picks than he has touchdowns, which is crazy. And, and and yet, no one would argue with his place amongst. Like, you're not going to say he's the greatest quarterback of all time. You're probably not even going to put him in your top five, maybe not even your top ten. But no one questions his status as one of the, especially from his era, one of the best of his era. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just funny. You look at these numbers and you wouldn't necessarily think that. I mean, 1998, his completion percentage was 57. Yeah. Uh, 59.6 in 99, 52.5. Like, those aren't great numbers. for like 99, he was under 60% completion percentage. That's what it says according to statscrew.com, and their their numbers are pretty good, usually better than the than the CFL.ca stuff. So that, that's crazy. Could you imagine a quarterback being MOP under? I don't think a quarterback yep. could be MOP under sixty five percent. Under sixty, it was a different game though. It was a different game. It just yep. was. And you know he had uh, in that year, nineteen ninety nine, he had twenty eight touchdown passes and sixteen interceptions. So the, the interceptions were were. Uh, you know, 16 is still quite a bit, but for him, you know, they were pretty tame. That's pretty tame. <laughs> but that's that's still that's that's less than a two to one inter. Like yeah. he had, he didn't have double his interceptions and touchdown passes, which again, in this day and age, would would, would never fly. But again, you don't question his. And you look back, and, and, and a guy like us, Baldiston, you look at his numbers, and you be like, wow, he would be cut probably in this day and yeah. age. And he lost. Did you know that uh, Baldiston was wasn't born in? He was born in England. Do you know that? Yeah. I did know that. Oh, okay. I, 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 I found was... that out years ago. It's not something I remember, but yeah, years ago I I I learned that. He'd I think I was a, writing something. Uh, about. He'd be a global player today. He would be. Well, he would have been grandfathered in as a, a like yeah. But if you yeah, if you start starting today, yeah, he'd be a global player. Probably wouldn't even get the all that opportunity. Yeah, it's crazy. But you're right. Like, isn't Ozzy's field goal percentage like it's under eighty percent on his career? It's like close to like seventy five, which is like. Not good. like we're 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 oh. calling for Joe McGallis' head, and he's at seventy five percent. I know, I know. It's just that when was, you look back at Ozzy, it's like he performed when he needed to, right? Like six field goals in the eighty six Grey Cup. Um, you know his, his, yeah. So he 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 was a clutch it, kicker. Yeah, when it came time to make the kick, like because I remember again, you know, hindsight being. 20, 
I don't remember worrying that Ozzy was going to miss that kick in 98. Like I remember being really confident. It's like, holy crap, we're going to go to the gray cup. And it's like, and it's a fit. And back again, we have to remember, like it was a different time back almost 25 years ago. 53 yard field goals were not the norm. We see guys kick 50 yarders. Now like Larry Pyrolahu was kicking. I think he was like perfect from 50 plus in his two years with the Tigers. Like he's booming 50 yarders. Like it's no one's business. That wasn't the norm back then. Guys, get, no, and even, I don't know what kickers, the wind was guys. like that day either. Like, do we? Oh, I don't was, remember if it was like going against him or a wind at his back. But either way, 54, 53, 54 yard field cold. goal. Yeah, I just remember yeah. being cold. That's all I remember. So there must have been some wins. And Iverwin, much like Tim Hortons Field, was known for its crazy wins. So, yeah, it's uh, well, that was a that was a fun trip down memory lane. But we got to move on, Mike, and talk about some CFL stuff. We already talked about the Garrett Marino thing. We're not going to talk about that again. But there was another big move made. Uh, the Montreal, <clears throat> pardon me, Montreal. That's kind of cleaned house last week, firing head coach Kari Jones and defensive coordinator Baron Miles. They also currently tied for first place in the East with the Toronto Argonauts. <laughs> but general manager Danny Machocha felt that a change was needed. Jones spent two full seasons with the Owls, guiding them to a pair of playoff bursts and posting the team's first winning record since 2012, when the Owls went 10 and eight in 2019 and guided them to their first in 2019. That was their first playoff game since 2014. What do you make of this decision by the Alice move on from Jones? Mike, good decision, bad decision, head scratching decision. Machoch is an idiot. What do you got to say? Uh, I think it's a bad decision, a head scratching decision, just a, a terrible decision all around. Um, you got a guy like Harry Jones who they hired like, I don't know, maybe a week before uh, the season started a couple years yep. ago. Uh, he turned around a team that, you know, wasn't look, wasn't expected to do anything. Um, the players love him. All indications show that he's a pretty darn good coach, and you could tell that he was feeling the heat the way that he pulled Vernon Adams, his guy, so quickly in that first game. You knew that there was pressure on him, and you knew that he knew that, um, you know, there was a lot at stake for these first couple of weeks of the season, which is unfortunate because I don't think you had that had to be uh, the situation. You know, he um has had a pretty good record with the owls in his first couple seasons and i think he deserved to have a longer leash you know give him give him this season like i said it's not smart to to fire people you know during the season i don't think i've ever known of a situation where it's worked in in the cfl anyways um so i just think it was buffoonery all around by the by the owners by machocha you know, if Machocha thinks he's going to come in there and, uh, you know, quote unquote, turn this team around, um, he didn't have that much success. As I know he won a great cup with Edmonton, but, you know, he, overall, his success rate wasn't that great as a head coach. So I just I just think it's a dumb move um, all around. Well, you live in Edmonton. Start talking to some Elks fans that, you know, at work and see what see what they have to say. If they were around during his era, just say, what do you think of Danny Machocha? They're not going to say mm-hmm. very many nice things. He's not no. well, well, and like you said, he won a championship and he's still not very, very well liked in Edmonton. Um, Just to, before we, I just wanted to, the only, like, I agree with you. I think coaching changes in the middle of the season are stupid and it did barely work. Your definition of made it better might vary, but like the June Jones hiring, they didn't, they didn't make the playoffs, but they did get better. But like they didn't make the playoffs, so it, ultimately it, it failed. Right, right? And, um, and that was a situation where you know Ken Austin had had. Uh, I felt like maybe not lost the team, but I feel like his voice was. Um, and he had, he had run his course. Yeah, a bit stagnant. They were zero and eight. Um, yeah, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. June Jones came in and and this team performed so much better. But um, that would be like the only 
um, yeah, situation and, that I can really think of in recent memory anyways. And even saying that, yeah, okay, they won six of their final 10 games. They still missed the playoffs. So at the mm-hmm. end of the day, they didn't achieve the, the goal they set out for at the beginning of the season. The thing with this this firing, and it everyone knew it was happening. Like, Jones was on the hot seat before the season started. Like So to me, it's like, get rid of him in the offseason. If, if you have this little confidence in the guy, then get rid of him in, in November and, and let him go find somewhere else. You guys find someone else and everyone's happy. This is not a bad, like, I, the, I don't think the Alouettes are a bad football team. They went into Calgary in the first week and lost by three in a game they, they could have easily won. I think I thought Vernon Adams looked great in that game. They lose to the Argos the next week because their kicker missed a 20-yard field goal. Like, they could easily be 2-2, two and two, if not 3-1. and one. They they demolished the, the, the Riders, and then they went to Saskatchewan and lost. Like, there's... If their kicker can make a 25-yard field goal, they're two and two, and we're talking First. about them as leading the division. Like, and yeah, two and two is not a great record, but it's a hell of a lot better than 0 and four. But I don't think the Owls, aside from that last game against the Riders, I don't think they've looked that bad. And I think that this whole this this the reason that they this has been hanging over their head for six months. Everyone knew that he was going to get turfed. I think it's done more damage to the team, but this, I don't think this is a bad football team right now from what we've seen. And they might be from what we've seen so far, the best team in the division. Like they're tied for first place. They could easily be in first place by themselves. Making this move to me, I think sets them back. I don't think this is going to catapult them into contention going to the great cup. I think if anything, this is going to set like now, now they're in sure. There's some certainty here, but I mean, are I, I, do you have any faith that, that they're going to become a, a contender? I, I think this makes them worse. Uh, I think this drops them below. I think they're the bottom of the division now. I think that um, even with Ottawa losing Mazzoli, I, I just don't see how, the, you know, I think Montreal is just a dumpster fire right now. I don't think Machocha is going to turn anything around. I, I just, I don't understand this move at all. I think it's, um, it's obviously a move that uh, they wanted to to do for a long time, and they just looked at any excuse to do it. And uh, now Machocha's running the team, so uh, I don't know, man. I think they're going to finish either last or second last in the East and probably miss the playoffs now. Yeah, I well, I think we're almost guaranteed to have a crossover this year. So yeah. if you don't finish one of those top two slots, you're you're not making the playoffs this year. Uh, so Ticat's bent to this. Obviously, when this happened, a lot of people were saying, fire Condell, bring in Jones. We're not going to go into that, at least for the season. Would you be amenable to that move in the offseason? No, Joan, Car Jones was the offensive coordinator. I think I mentioned earlier, was the offensive coordinator here in 2011. They were an okay offense. They didn't light the world on fire, but that was 10 years ago now, 11 years ago now. He's gotten to be a much better coach. I think he should get a head coaching job. Like, I could easily see the Red Blacks moving on from Paul Lapolis after this year. I think a Kahari Jones-Jeremiah Mazzoli tandem would make Ottawa scary if Mazzoli gets back to full health and, and can be the player that he once was. Uh, I don't know wherever you're not going to get a coach. I don't think you're getting a coach in Hamilton. Maybe you get one in Toronto. I, you're not getting one in any of the good teams in the West. And I don't think Edmonton's going to fire their coach. So there might not be a lot of openings for him to go to, but would you be amenable to seeing him come to Hamilton as the offensive coordinator? Do you not want to see that? Or do you just think that that's, he, he's going to get a head coaching job and it's not even worth talking about. Well, I, I do believe that he's going to get a head coaching job. And I, 
I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be against him coming in as the OC, um, depending on how this year goes, the rest of the year with Condell running the running the offense. But um, I don't know. Is he known to be like this this great offensive mind that you know his offenses are just on fire? Like I just don't see how that would be much of an improvement over Condell. Mm-hmm. I mean, the offenses are all the same in the CFL. So what's the point of you know, you're just changing out one guy for the other guy who's going to run the same offense. So, no, I, I, don't, I don't think was, it's a good idea. I'm not sure. I, I, can't, I don't know who the – like, again, this is on my fault for not doing the research. I can't – I don't know who the offensive coordinator was in Montreal if it was just Jones doing both things. The one thing I'll say about his offense is he does like to push the ball downfield. Like, and that's why I think he liked Vernon Adams more than Trevor Harris is that he liked – he didn't like the – that that – Trustman offense that you hate where it's like throw it five yards and let your receive. He liked to chuck the ball deep. And so I think that that it, it's the one wrinkle of, of his offensive system that we didn't see anywhere else. We do see too much of that same stuff that you were, you're complaining about. And, and I do so. think Tommy Condell likes to chuck it deep as well. You know, he didn't have the, he didn't, he didn't, he, you can't throw the ball deep if your offensive line sucks. Exactly. Exactly. So now that the offensive line is in place, I think, hopefully, um, maybe we'll see some more passes downfield and we'll open this offense up a little bit. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I just let's just get through this season. And then we'll worry about uh, what we're about the offseason. The off season? Yeah, that seems fair. Yeah. OK, so let's move on to the last bit of thing we're going to talk about today. And that is this week's game. The Ticats enter the what I'm considering the meat of their schedule. Seven of their next eight games are against East Division opponents. And that starts this Saturday with their game against the only other winless team in the league, the Ottawa Red Blacks. <clears throat> this was supposed to be the homecoming for Jeremiah Mazzoli, but he will obviously miss what would what would have been his first trip back to Tim Hortons Field after the injury he suffered due to the uh, late hit by Garrett Marino. That will sideline him for approximately 10 to 12 weeks. The Red Blacks made a trade. is something we didn't talk about. Well, I guess we can get into it here. They made a trade with the Edmonton Elks for quarterback Nick Arbuckle. But as of now, as of recording... Uh, we do not know if it will be him or Caleb Evans who will start on Saturday. The Ticats come into this game with the same 0-4 record as the Red Blacks, but they are starting to get a little healthier. This is something that we're going to break here. We should expect, I think we should expect to see Don Jackson back in the lineup this week. He took the majority of reps uh, with the first-team offense at Tuesday's practice. He's not listed on the injury report for the first time this year for what's that worth, whatever that's worth, because we know that the injury report's really not worth the bandwidth that it takes up on the internet. But I think we, we I think we should expect to see Don Jackson play this week. Uh, I know we said this, Mike, the last time uh, we talked about a game again when it was against the Elks. This is a game the Ticats have to win, is it not? Like Ottawa does not have its franchise quarterback. Hamilton's playing at home. They're coming off a bye. They're getting healthy. We need to be talking about a win on that post game show on Saturday, do yeah. we not? We absolutely do. Uh, like you said, we said it last week against the Elks. You know, they're they're not a good team, and we should have beat them, and we didn't. But this is a division game. Uh, you got you got to win this one. You just have to. You cannot drop to 0-5. And, you know, I've looked at our opponents for the rest of the season. I think it's doable. I think we can get back to 500, a little bit above 500 by the end of the season. But we have to start winning now. And we have to, we have to win this game against the Red Blacks. There's no excuses. If we have to come on the postgame show and talk about another loss, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be even uglier than last week. And then we started off the show with <laughs> and we started off with curse words last time. Yeah, we threw in some <laughs> f bombs like right off the bat there. So the, the whole show might be bleeps if we lose this one. So they better they better get their act together. Someone tweeted at us saying that the uh, the post game show sounded like it was in Morse code. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it it yeah. tickled quite well. 
But yeah, if you want to get in on the uh, uncensored action, you got to tune into the post-game show. For sure. But yeah, it's it, Ottawa's a wounded animal. Like there might be a little bit of a bump of thinking like, oh, they're you know you know win one for the Gipper sort of thing. If it, I I don't believe in Nick Arbuckle. I'm not a believer in Nick Arbuckle. Uh, and I we've seen Caleb Evans. I think he has potential, but I, he's not there yet, and he needs more playing time. And He's a mobile quarterback, which has given the Ticats trouble, but he didn't give the Ticats much trouble last year. Now, the supporting cast around him this year is a lot better. That He has actual CFL caliber receivers. I just, I think if they start Evans, I think the Ticats win. I think if they start Arbuckle, the Ticats should win. If you're bringing a guy in on Monday and having him start on Saturday, you're in trouble. It, it kind of tells you, all, it, yeah, you're, you should be in trouble. Now, would I be surprised if the Ticats lost this? No. No, I wouldn't. I mean, you lose at home to Edmonton, giving up a 10-point ten-point halftime lead. Nothing will surprise me negatively with this team. Do I think they're going to lose? I do not. I think the bye week is going to done that. Going to going to have done them some good. I think it's going to refresh them. Uh, I think, like I said, they're getting healthier. I, 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 I know I said it against Edmonton. It's not a must-win because, as far as I'm concerned, must-wins are only for games where you either are out of the playoffs or out of contention for the playoffs. But with Everything surrounding this game, they they have to win this one. They a loss here would be devastating. Yeah, just to the mojo of the team. Like, just forget about the standings. You know, because we'd still be in it. Obviously, like you know, the the leading team in the Eastern Division would have two wins, I believe. But no one. Just that. Yeah. It depends on what so. happens this week. Because like, if you look at the schedule, I'm just gonna pull it up here. Montreal hosts Edmonton, so you know maybe that's that's a. Let's say like, yeah. both both Toronto and Montreal could win this week, so yes, you could be right. It could be two. The the Argos play Touchdown Atlantic against the Riders out in Nova Scotia, but I think the Riders are better than the Argos, so I think the Riders will win that because it's a neutral site game. They're not going like that. That's mm-hmm. there's no home field advantage there, and I'm not a big believer in the Elks now, especially with Trey Ford out. But to see them beat Montreal, that we wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. No, but no, I think, no. Like the Owls could make this move at all this firing and could be in first place when we record next. Because, yeah, the, division, could be. because the division is so bad. Yeah. So just like, just for the overall mojo of the team, you know, they got to win this one. They can't lose to Edmonton and then Ottawa the next week. I know that Ottawa isn't, you know, as bad as they were last year, but it's just, I think it'd be devastating to this team to lose and to start off 0 and 5 and then have to go into BC the next week. You know, in a late game against the, you know one of the top teams in the league, they just have to for their confidence. They have to get this win, and I think that they will. And I think that Dane Evans is going to commit no turnovers. I think this is going to be the turning point for him in this offense. the The offensive line is going to do a stellar job. Uh, we're going to rack up some yards. Uh, I think we're going to hand off the ball a lot to Don Jackson. So I think, I think this is a turning point for the Tiger Cats. We're going to get a big win and then uh, start rolling from there. So what? What is your like one key that you're hoping? Is it is it the lack of turnovers? Is it to is it to have it has a to be, right? turnover I mean, it has game? To yeah, be. it has to be because that's like that's the biggest problem this season so far. And then when we've had yep. a lot of problems along the offensive line, and we've you know the defensive line hasn't gotten as much pressure as we'd like. But the reason we've lost games mostly is because of the amount of turnovers, right? You just can't turn over turn over the ball that much and expect to win. So that's the main thing I'm seeing. The performance of Evans. 
and, um, you know, not turning the ball over. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, to be honest, if this team, and I say team, but it really does ride on Evans because he's got 12 turnovers so far this year. If he cut that, not even in half. I mean, take away the fumble against the Elks and the interception in the end zone against the Stamps, and they're 2-2. Two and two. Because if they score even a field goal there, I, especially if they score a touchdown against the Stamps, I don't think Calgary was coming back in that one, even though they eventually did when, and, and obviously they won the game. And if they don't, if he doesn't fumble against Edmonton, I'm not entirely sure Edmonton drives the field and, and gets a touchdown to win the game. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. if it's two plays and it's, it, you know, I, I know it's like, oh, it's never just two plays. But if those two plays go the other way, even if the Ticats punted after Evans ran the ball, like they ran that, I think that, I think it was a first down, but it might have been a second down. But even if it, they would have punted after that, I think the defense would have done enough to get a stop. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. don't. As, as down on the team as I am, the one thing I can say is they're not losing because of a lack of talent. This is a talented roster. It's a lack of execution. And it's too many mental mistakes. Like the defense is breaking down at the end. The quarterback is turning the ball over too much. It's And these are correctable things. You know what I mean? Like it's one thing, like you said, Ottawa last year was terrible. That was due to a lack of talent. They just didn't have enough good players. The year before, they just didn't have enough good players. This is not about a team that doesn't have enough good players. There are guys on this team that have been all-stars in the past. There's award-winning players on both sides of the ball. There's perennial all-stars. There's guys who are going to go to the Hall of Fame. Like, there are good player football players on this team. It's just, if they get out of their own head, if they start to just not make those mistakes, I think, as as like I said, as down as I am on this team, I think they can make some moves and and start to kind of stack up some wins here. Yeah, I'm with you. I think talent is there. The talent is there. Um, we just have to go out and uh, grab some wins. And if we can, you know, if we can get two more wins in the first six games, and I know it's going to be tough going into BC, but, I, you know, I think that over the years, Hamilton necessarily hasn't won in BC, but I thought they played pretty well every time they've gone out there. So I think they have a chance for sure. Uh, I think if we, you know, two and four, the first six games of the season, and then go from there. You know, it's a cliche, but... It really is true. One game at a time, just just keep winning, keep stacking up the wins, and and we don't have to worry about the the East Division because you know I'm not. I know I said I picked Toronto to be first, but they don't look good. We talked about Montreal, we talked about Ottawa, so all, they they just have to perform and uh, get some wins, and they should be sitting pretty by the end of the season, I think, uh, in uh, either first or second position in the East. It's it's here for the taking. It's it's yep. still here for the taking. This this reminds me a lot of 2014. I think we talked about that on either a previous episode of this or on a post game show. The division's not good. Nine and nine, ten and eight probably wins it. There, I don't. I think you get that, that running you, game going too. You know, yeah. get that running game going, and then you, that could help a lot. Hopefully, Don Jackson is uh, the Don Jackson we know, and with this offensive line being better than it was, you know, open up some holes for him, and we can actually get a running game going. Yeah, it's if if things bounce right for this team, that they're going to start to win some football games. But yeah, I'm with you. Main thing in this, cut out the turnovers. If yeah. if if Dane Evans has a turnover-free game, the Ticats will if the Ticats will win this football game. If he does not turn the ball over one time, they win this football game. I do ask you this though before we go: if he throws a pick or has a fumble, will you start to get a little worried? Even if the score is like 24-7 for the Ticats, won't that sort of? Because that's the thing. It seems like yeah. it, like he 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 turns the ball over and then it just snowballs. He's kind of the, yeah, kind of snowballs. He it's it's not necessarily. I don't I don't want to say like he he takes it personally or or lets it affect him, but it seems as if he it then like he him. said this himself. He starts he's starting to do all the mistakes he's made is him trying to do too much. 
if he just does what he's supposed to, he's been excellent. And when you look at this team when they've been really good, that's exactly what it is. He's finding the guys, you know what I mean? It's when he's trying to force things yeah. where things get and, – and when things start to get – you know, scores start to get a little tighter – he starts to force things more and more, and that's when those mistakes happen. So will you get a little worried if that first interception comes or that first fumble comes? Yeah. I mean, if he fumbles, I'm going to lose my damn mind. Interceptions yeah. happen. That I, I'm used mm-hmm. to that. But four fumbles, it would have been if, – if he, yeah, we're hypothetical we're talking about here. A, a, a fumble in this one will be five fumbles in five games. It's like you can't have that. No. Will you start to I get a little more concerned? concerned? Yeah. Absolutely, especially if it's early on in the game. and. Or especially if we have a lead and then he fumbles and, you know, gives the team a touchdown or something like that. Um, I will start to worry because that's what I do with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I worry a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, it would be why, nice. You if, know what? That's why, if, I, if, that's why I always find it funny when people, like, come at us, like, whether it's myself personally or or, or our Twitter account uh, for the show. And they're like, oh, aren't, you know, should you be more concerned about your team's record? Or they make fun of the, the things like, dude. Do you know what being a Ticat fan is like? Like you can't. There's nothing you can say that can hurt me more than no. this team's hurt me over the past quarter century. You know what I mean? Like yeah, this exactly. is the most like, hardened fan base in almost all of sports. Maybe the Cleveland Browns or the Buffalo Bills might have the only fan bases that are more like, look, man, if we're good, that's great. If we're bad, whatever. I, I've seen it all before. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing you can say or do, or it doesn't hurt. It, it yeah. you can't hurt me more than this team already has. Exactly. I mean, you can say 1999 all you want. <clears throat> it just annoys me because that's the only thing you have. Like, yeah. Really. So. But it doesn't, um, it, doesn't hurt my, it doesn't hurt my feelings. It's like yeah, no. I'm okay they haven't won a championship. You know what? I cheer for the goddamn Chicago Cubs. Chicago Cubs until right. 2016 hadn't won a championship in almost 110 years. Like I'm a New York Knicks fan for crying out loud. You think I? You think, you think I don't know what pain is with sports? Come on, 1999. I've never seen the Knicks win a championship. I'll, if they would have won in 1999, I'd be ecstatic. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it would be nice though. I know that this wouldn't happen because he's with the the Bombers now. But Danny Mac could have a little talk with Dane Evans, you know, because he's he like you said earlier in the show, like he's the guy that would throw an interception and it would just you just get it over his head onto the next drive. Let's score a touchdown now. So that you know, it'd be nice to get some words of advice from Danny Mac. Now I don't think that's going to happen, but uh, he'd yeah. be a good guy to talk to about that kind of thing. For sure, water off a duck's back when it came to Danny Mac. If Dane Evans can get that, can start to exude that cool, calm demeanor, even when things are going bad, this this team's gonna this team's gonna gonna turn it around. So I mean, hopefully, hopefully we're talking about a win on uh, on Saturday evening. So yeah, make sure everyone out there listening, join us on the post game show on Twitter. We will have one uh, probably about a half hour to 45 minutes after the game. I'm, I'm going to the game, obviously. So it takes me a little while to get home. And I don't think you want to hear me talking in the car on the ride home. I like to get in my nice uh, temperate apartment. It also gives us a chance, you and I, to formulate our thoughts a little bit. So yes, uh, yeah, yeah, join us for the post game show on Twitter. Probably game will end around 8 o'clock. I'd say sometime, yeah. 8.30, 8.45 probably sounds about right for us. But we'll obviously let everyone know uh, when that's going to come out on Saturday. So that was uh, Podsky Weaver for this week. I'm Josh Smith. I'm uh, Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.